will start us off again. Um, I know I ended that sentence with a question mark, but I I, I am starting us off again. gentle listener and welcome to michael and ethan in a room with scotch i am again your host michael lilienthal and this is again my guest ethan bartlett because this is episode two talking about the same thing that we talked about in episode one of this two-part set of episodes and we're talking about books but not about scotch specifically today about a play how's that sound ethan that sounds great great excellent Fantastic, wonderful. So, yes, we are still drinking the Scotch Talisker Storm Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. It's an intense Talisker with a profoundly maritime character, like a warm welcome from Wild Hebridean Sea. Uh, Hebridean, sorry. Hebridean. Sorry. Whatever. No, that, that was literally me correcting you and then immediately saying sorry for correcting you. <laughs> you could not be more Midwestern. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I mean, okay, I could be technically you could, because you could be. I could have let you say it wrong and then just seethed with resentment this entire hour, <laughs> which would be the truly Midwestern thing to do. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so it could be worse, is what I'm saying. It could be worse for you. For you, I would never know. Well, see, you wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't know, but you would know. Like, yeah, that's true. I would find, like, little crappy ways to, like, <laughs> undercut you or, you know, whatever, like, thing I knew you were most insecure about, I would, like, just sort of try to work into a compliment I was giving you. Like, you would know. I would know. You just wouldn't I know would. that it was because you said, I don't even remember how you said it, actually. Hebridean, I think. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you wouldn't know it was because of that. So, you know, again, could be worse for both of us. <laughs> yes. So, yes, while we drink this this scotch, um, we will be discussing uh, The Playboy of the Western World by J.M. Singh. But before we do that, we need to follow the rules and yes. we need to know what those rules are. This so is a please. very strict podcast that it is. does have very strict rules. How are you pouring already? What? Am I just supposed to be the only one who does the ASMR sound capture for pouring? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, fine. Um, Wait, you don't have to <laughs> not know what I'm talking about yet. We haven't read the rules or clinked the glasses. It's like I'm you, just keeping my all my bases covered. It's like you don't even <laughs> listen every single time when my wife reads the rules live. <laughs> well, why don't you have her read them now so that we're all on the same page? Well... Speaking of very Midwestern. <laughs> Karen? Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. 
If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule 3. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule 4. Michael must never say the words, vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number six. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. Thank you, Karen. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, see, I know to whom I must be nice and to whom I need not yeah, have that requirement. That's valid. Um, that's uh, why I got your wife to call me smart last episode. Um, <laughs> also, speaking of Karen, who was just here, obviously, so I don't know why I even need that segue. Um, she has a very wonderful okay. theory about why like Midwesterners and like people of Germanic and Scandinavian descent developed like the passive-aggressive method oh. of of uh combat um social combat uh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and her theory is that like you know italians and and uh uh spaniards like people who live in sort of much more temperate mediterranean climates can afford to like scream at each other and yell at each other because they can just march out the door and down the street and wherever ah. most of the year because it's like warm enough to do that but right people who who originate farther north and who then like moved somewhere also farther north when they emigrated uh-huh. which is like a whole set of bad decisions i we don't have time to go into <laughs> um when you have to be indoors with people nine months of the year you have to develop ways of fighting which also allow you to be in the same room afterwards because there's nowhere else to go Right. Well, I mean, it it adds some significance to, you know, the whole sleeping on the couch thing, too. Because, you know, if you put that, you know, the little house in the big woods or whatever, sleeping (laughs) in that couch, you might freeze to death. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah. Anyway. That's that's what I know about that. I I like that theory. I I approve. Proof. I, I don't know how true it actually is, but I like to think that it is. It's like it's one of those ones that's true, even if it's not true. Even if it's not true, um, that's that's hearkening back to a previous episode. That's what I was about to say, and now I will oh. seethe with resentment against you for the rest of this episode. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> At least I don't have to sleep on the couch. <laughs> I will text Sarah and be like, remember how you gave me that point of inspiration? (laughs) I would like to spend it to make Michael sleep on the couch tonight. (laughs) Well, you can't automatically spend the inspiration to make me sleep on the couch. You just have advantage on the roll to see if you make me sleep on the couch. (laughs) Wait, I do actually have two sets of my dice somewhere around here because... (laughs) 
this is also where I uh, do the two to three D and D games that I'm involved in. So I could I could roll, go. but I won't. Okay. Because right. I'm I'm a nice podcast co-host, <laughs> podcast guest, I suppose. You are you are the guest today. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes, that's true. And like a like an extremely bad guest, I talked most of the last hour. <laughs> you know, in in some cases, it's that's that's the purpose of the guest is to <laughs> talk the most. Well, that's very gracious of you to say. Did we clean glasses yet? No, we did not. Lachaim. Uh, Slancha. You know how you usually like pause and forget what you're gonna say before you say your your drinking salute. Uh huh. Yeah, that's what I just did. Yep. Very, uh, very common. <laughs> um. <laughs> so yes, Ethan, we are still uh, discussing the Playboy of the Western World. Yes, uh, we will. We will complete our discussion after this episode. I of the podcast. Have there a will question. Be nothing more to say about this play. We will have exhausted all topics. Well, considering I like. Uh, talked about 900 years of Irish history last time. I feel like that's correct. Um, <laughs> I do have a question. Yes. I know that Hit. you said you had some footnotes that you resented, and I do, yes. like, I'm actually really interested in that. Um, okay. Are we also going to talk about the plot at some point? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we should definitely do that. I, I just um, wanted I to ask to that lead... as a question pending what you have on the agenda. Yes. Well, I, I I have just one one small thing on the agenda before we talk about the plot. Sure. Um, that I think will lead into the plot. My my um uh despise of um I think it's just one footnote. Okay. Um, but uh, that that can come later. Oh, okay. Um, so at, I I want to refer to some of the rest of the book. Yes. Of uh the complete works of Jam Singh. Yes. Um and. Uh, this is something that we referred to in the last episode that we read the entire works, the, the entire corpus. Um, and uh, there, there are things that connect. And one of those things I wrote, uh, at, once I read it, it retroactively uh, referred in my mind to the Playboy of the Western World. And so I wrote the page numbers for it at the beginning of that play. And awesome. that is on pages 350 and 351 in the Aran Islands. Okay. Um, in in this section, and he, um, it, it, there's a footnote there as well uh, that refers to it, but it, it goes even beyond that, um, in my mind anyway. Sure. To this whole thing. And, I, and I'm sure the, the editors of the, the book uh, as well weren't intending to restrict it to just that one paragraph. But sure. uh, footnote 20 in the Aran Islands here refers to uh, this paragraph that um, Singh relates the story that an old man told him well, uh, of something that happened. A, a Connaught man who killed his father with the blow of a spade when he was in passion and then fled to this island and threw himself on the mercy of some of the natives with whom he was said to be related. They hid him in a hole. And okay, so it goes on and yeah. um, he was safe and the police came searching for him. The footnote says this story is a clear source for the playboy of the Western world uh, and so on and so forth. But yeah. and it even says there in the footnote, Singh goes on to explain. So this is where it, it relates, especially Yes. Um, the the impulse to protect the criminal is universal in the West, and that goes on to that's the beginning of the ne- next paragraph there. Um, uh, 
there's the association between justice and the hated English jurisdiction. Uh, but more, more directly to the primitive feeling of these people who are never criminals, yet always capable of crime, that a man will not do wrong unless he is under the influence of a passion which is as irresponsible as a storm on the sea. If a man has killed his father and is already sick and broken with remorse, they can see no reason why he should be dragged away and killed by the law. Okay, so here's just like a cultural difference that yeah. um, it seems like the law against murder and such is something external being imposed on these people. Uh, I want to kind of blitz through this because I do want to talk about the plot. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to uh, skip the next paragraph. It's a short one. But then um, some time ago, before the introduction of police, all the people of the islands were as innocent as the people here remain to this day. I have heard that at that time, the ruling proprietor and magistrate of the North Island used to give any man who had done wrong a letter to a jailer in Galway and send him off by himself to serve a term of imprisonment. As there was no steamer, the ill-doer was given a passage in some chance hooker to the nearest point on the mainland. Then he walked for many miles along a desolate shore until he reached the town. When his time had been put through, he crawled back along the same route, feeble and emaciated, and had often to wait many weeks before he could regain the island, such at least is the story. It seems absurd to apply the same laws to these people and to the criminal classes of a city. The most intelligent man on, an, on Inishman has often spoken to me of his contempt of the law and of the increase of the crime po the police have brought to Aaron Moore. Okay, so it's more of the same, just this idea yeah. that the culture is such on these islands that the law being imposed upon them um, from the western side yeah. and um, the English influence... Um, which even some of the nationalists of the time would probably object to the idea of that being an English influence, yeah. um, is inappropriate and makes things worse for them. Which, in many of these travelogues, um, the, 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 uh, a through line that you come across is poverty. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that in, in these poor towns, there's something of a, a, a richness of culture and, um, uh, community among the people in these towns uh, that is untouched by the poverty, but yet is still incorporated into that as well. Sure. Um, I, I don't know how much I want to talk about that, but I think that's something that's important to understand as context to the play and to the plot of the play, which you summarized very briefly in the last episode, um, being that this uh, man comes to this this town this small town uh and tells everyone that he murdered his father and they celebrate him right um <laughs> that's with with some of that context from that point in the Aran islands uh makes some sense you know it sounds yeah. absurd when you proceed it that way in the first place but then you hear that context like the riots again it makes some sense with the well context. and it's it's interesting like the whiplash you go through especially as like our own inescapable context as Midwestern Americans in the 21st century yep. of like hearing this plot, which almost sounds either absurdist or yep. like consciously transgressive. Um, yes. Almost like, you know, like a, not quite like a sadistic thing, but like bordering mm -hmm. that anyway. Um, yeah. And then you hear this context and it seems a very different sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But then you, when you put this context into the plot of the play, it almost, f to me, feels like it becomes a third thing altogether. Um, yeah, it, it it almost seems like satire. Um, when yeah, you but put it, it that way. 
but I but, don't know what it's a satire of. Um, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, and and part of this, and this is like, to me, if I were directing this play, um, uh-huh. my, I don't know, my thesis or like the theme of the play that I would want to bring out would be really sort of the war between Christy and, um, I've heard the name pronounced Pagan or Pagin. Uh, oh, sure. Um, the, the sort of the male lead and the female lead. Um, because there's a very interesting and very, like, if you had two really good actors who were both very confident and had good chemistry with each other, like, the scenes between the two of them could just be, like, fire. Um, mm-hmm. And in a very real sense the whole of their relationship is like a power struggle or a a shifting of power dynamics um where as like both local celebrity and presumed murderer it seems like christy should absolutely have all of the power um that Mm -hmm. you know and, and he when he when he makes a play for it when he tries to like get Pagin to do what he wants that's like what he relies on um but like most of the time it seems like Pagin is the one very much in control um yeah and it, you know absolutely true Christy goes Christy sort of vacillates as a as a young man might be um at least at his worst expected to do with all of this this attention and the potential for both like sex and wealth mm-hmm. of of various kinds mm-hmm. um but it's clear you know over the course of the play it's clear that really like Pegin is his love right um yes so right at the end of act one he says uh uh well it's a clean bed and soft with it and it's great luck and company have won me in the end of time two fine women fighting for the likes of me Till I'm thinking this night, wasn't I a foolish fellow not to kill my father in the years gone by? <laughs> um, and that to me summarizes sort of everything you said about it being a satire in the sense that it's like, it's it's a it feels almost meta to where he's like highlighting the absurdity of this plot yeah. from within the plot. But at the same time, it's sort of about how like, I was gonna sneeze. Okay, yeah, I was I was pausing to let the audio be clean, uh, but it didn't uh, happen. So. Oh well, you know, it'll, it'll happen <laughs> when I'm right in the middle of a good one. Um, but uh, um, so so you know, again, like Christy should be should be the most powerful one, but like also this this last little, I I it's it's got to be a monologue, right? uh yeah he's like talking to himself yeah. it's not he's on his own yeah he's, he's he's not quite shakespeare style turning to the audience and delivering 12 lines of blank verse but like no. um it, it, it's just it is just one sentence that he yeah. says on his own but yeah that's right but it's still it's like conventionally yeah. the same um yeah. or conventionally similar anyway uh mm-hmm but his, his killing of his father or, you know, of course, if you know the twists in the in Act 2, mm-hmm. like the the presumption of his killing of his father becomes just sort of a means to an end 
Um, mm-hmm. And at the same time, like, Singh, you know, he... He doesn't violate the idea that, you know, this this would be a very different play if um, Christy had, like, killed his father and was, like, looking to kill again. Like if you oh, yes. if you imagine this play as written by Cormac McCarthy seventy five years later, like <laughs> you know Christie becomes this uh, just like murdering psychopath who probably probably actually marries Pagan, uh, and yeah. also mm-hmm. probably commits several other murders and like buries them in the yard or whatever to like advance himself or whatever. But it's like it's not that. So it is within this like parameter that Singh has set up for right. himself. Um. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, in in terms of of satire and and so forth, something occurs to me in in hearing you talk right now, and you might be on the same wavelength. Um, and I I don't know if you are or not, but that's that's irrelevant. Um, but I I I, I want to launch into just a really brief. I was not prepared for this at all until you started talking. I want to launch into a brief names with Michael here. Uh-huh. Um. Because I did not know that possible pronunciation of Pegin as Pagan, but if you relate that to Christie, um, then oh got... shoot, <laughs> um, these two. Now I will say the... my etymology, my etymological authority for that comes from Americans I have known whose okay who were of Irish descent, whose parents wanted to give them a traditional Irish name, and they settled sure. on Pagan. And I have I I don't know for sure, but I've always assumed that's a form of pegging. Yeah, it 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 very well could be, and I, I so the, all of this could be baseless. It could <laughs> not be, um, and in in all of the the commentary, even in the nonfiction, um, Singh doesn't so much talk about the church, but in the play itself, the Catholic Church is a bit satirized. Yeah. Um, it, not explicitly, but maybe to that audience, it was explicit um, that like you've got this town of of Catholic peasants, essentially, sure, um, who are restricted into inaction. I'm thinking of um, is it Sean um, in here? Yes, Sean. Yeah. Um, on page seventy two, he has this line: "I would and welcome Michael James, but I am afeard of Father Riley." Um, so this, uh, the, the church is, is essentially stopping him from taking action. Um, they're, they're driven then to boredom by the church. And then here comes, uh, Christy, uh, and upsets all of that. Um, so, I mean, even that itself, Christy being kind of the antithesis of the church, but then, you know, Pagan or Pagan, um, being the opposite as well and welcoming that you know she's herself kind of stepping onto that i think um, there's a so, lot i mean all of it's 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 more or less in its explicit nature rather relatively baseless but the themes are there yeah i think there's i think there's a potential like i think we could do an hour interpreting the play that way again whether mm-hmm. whether the you know whether 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 the scholarship is there or not like it's a valid and available and interesting way to look at the play Mm -hmm. um as you've been talking i've been you know doing the most surface level of research and found that pigeon is or pigeon is a considered a diminutive form of margaret 
Um, yeah, and that's how she's listed in the playbill is Margaret. Oh, man, it's because you're thorough enough to read playbills, and I'm just a joke. <laughs> uh, sure. Yep, there she is. Um, yeah. So, which is, you know, if you know about Meg, there's that mm-hmm. that hundred, two hundred years ago, well, like and Peggy, priming nicknames. Peggy yeah, too Peggy. Is the same thing. You get Meg, Peg, Peggy, Peggyne is not a not a difficult mm-hmm. transition, but it's still, I think, if you were sort of a, a literature student art making this argument, right? Like, I think mm-hmm. you could still rely on the fact that. Uh, Singh had chosen both the uh, <laughs> sound-wise and also spelling-wise the the closest version to the to the actual word mm-hmm. pagan. Well, and that's why names with Michael exists. Authors don't choose names just because. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's a reason. And There's an a author reason. like Singh, I think, is definitely careful enough to not have done that by accident. Um. And again, we, we mentioned last time I didn't go into the Catholic Protestant thing sort of on purpose, right. but um, in that context in Ireland in the, at the time, or even now to a large extent, any like small reference to Catholicism or the, the church is going to be a much, you have to envision it being a much bigger sort of oh, yes. thing that an Irish person or an Irish audience would note than even Mm -hmm. we would even those of us who are you know religious in an american context like yeah so that's definitely definitely there um a point i wanted to make that something you just said sort of made me think of and i want to just like note it while we're here because i don't know if i'll be able to retain it um yeah on my on my reading which has been and again i've cheated by reading this play probably this was like my fifth time reading it um nice so this is something I've thought about a lot is that that almost battle of the sexes theme between Christie and, and Pegin or Pigan. Uh, mm. And that this, this line that you talked about last time, uh, the four pages from the end where the riot started um, mm-hmm. to what I just have to imagine was both sings like great annoyance and pleasure, like, like a, you know oh what's the word um you know sort of a transgressive pleasure or whatever you want to however you want to say anyway um so this line where he highlights this idea of uh irish womanhood which as we mentioned might stand for the nation of ireland standing in its shift you know um (laughs) this deeply offensive line that that uh um started the riot uh i want to if i were a say literature grad student writing a paper about this i would a research this assertion much more thoroughly to see if there was any (laughs) scholarly backing for it but b my thesis that i think i would sort of put forth excuse me would be the idea that um Pagan is perhaps a much more robust, a much tougher, um, a much more nuanced vision or version of Irish femininity or Irish womanhood. And that perhaps Mm -hmm. Singh's idea here was to replace sort of an outdated and possibly even sort of problematically anglicized 
sort of version of like a a pure virginal like a lot of those images go to like a british british victorian calvinist vision of womanhood and that maybe his his attempt here was to put forth a much tougher sort of irish distinctly irish version of of womanhood or of, mm. of femininity whatever you know using all of these general generalized terms here in the 21st century feels inherently like problematic but um you know in 1907 it's it's maybe that singh was doing his best to do sort of a a both a, like nationalist feminism um again any scholars of irish literature who are listening to this podcast please feel free to to write in <laughs> or tweet in and tell me i'm just like way off base but that's like been sort of the theory that i've come up with out of somewhat whole cloth as it were yeah i i'm i'm not equipped to uh confirm or refute your theory um it seems legitimate <laughs> It's about the the greatest uh, <laughs> comment I can make. <laughs> sure, so. sure, sure. Again, I'm just you know, just uh, what's the polite word for? Um. Anyway, <laughs> don't worry, I'll delete that. Shooting uh, the breeze? I don't know. That's sure. <laughs> um, yes, I'm just shooting the breeze, which is what this podcast is. So that works. It's true. It's true. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I mean, it, we we've kind of hinted at it in in uh, a lot of instances here, but yes. Yeah, so Christy Mahone in, uh, states that he killed his father. Turns out to be a lie. He did not actually kill his father. His father shows up later in the in the play, which he's he's billed um, oh. in the in the cast list. Sure. So I I wonder how how much of a um like a spoiler a spoiler that would be be. and and so in the way it's it's written on page 68 persons in the play yeah uh you have christopher mahone listed first uh then you have old mahone his father a squatter so it it's explicit that he's listed there that like Maybe he's in a flashback or something. I don't know how much flashbacks were a thing at the time. My inclination is with these sorts of semi-realist plays, not so much. Um, yeah, but <laughs> you would you would um, know as as in a general scope sort of way. You would know that better than I would. That was my only thought. Was maybe an audience would assume it was a flashback. Yeah, so. and. Or dream, but even that is kind of yeah out there I mean, for for this period. It's it's not totally unheard of. I guess like you. To be fair, Macbeth yeah. has you know ghost sequences, or Julius Caesar has ghost sequences. It's, so it's true, but you've got a lot of realist influences at this time that right. um, wanted those um, um, wanted it kept as as natural as possible Close like Ibsen to the himself was a, a naturalist that he considered the father of the naturalists i think yeah. it's even noted in here somewhere oh, sure but um you'd keep it close to the unities and as close to reality as, yeah. as possible but you know i i don't know enough about the context of irish theater of the time to know if they followed right. and, ibsen or or the natural school or anything like that 
Well, and that's where you get to um, uh, a later play that's listed in here is Deirdre of the Sorrows, which is based on a legend. Right. Um, and is de- does does uh, invoke some of those um, more mystical aspects of things. Sure. So, I mean, that it, it's all speculation at this point. What would the audience have thought? Um, the reveal, you know, Maybe they didn't care. Maybe uh, Singh didn't care so much about it being a reveal, or maybe it was a bit of a reveal for them. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, that's 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 he he's listed there anyway. So yeah, he does show up and he shows up alive. Um, he he talks about how his son has a murderous gob. <laughs> which is just a great line yeah um that you know he didn't actually murder him not with a spade you know he hit him with a spade um but uh, he didn't actually murder him he's just talking about murdering him it's the murder is all in his mouth sure um and uh so of course uh christy falls into um disrepute in the town as a result of this um, he, after falling in love with Begin, uh, and, uh, wanting to, to marry her and run away with her or whatever, um, or settle down with her, I guess. Um, either way, I think he's, he's, he's happy with it as long as he gets Begin. But then, you know, she finds out too, um, that he lied about it and lying is a worse crime than murder, uh, <laughs> in this, in this town, um, <laughs> which we've talked about. Yes. <laughs> already so there's the there's the plot as a just real brief rundown yeah um and it the what's interesting to me with all of that is the flippant way that christy brings up the murder um he comes in and pegin says there's a conversation on page 76 that's where he he says it um and they're they're kind of having this banter back and forth and christy seems sincere through all of it as being more or less troubled he's offended he says you're not speaking the truth uh when when she says a soft lad the like of you wouldn't slit the windpipe of a screeching sow right you know undermining his uh you wouldn't kill um, a cow that was already dying Right, exactly. Uh, he's uh, so you're not speaking the truth. He says she in mock rage. So this is kind of relating to what you were saying about she's she's the one with the power. Yeah. This whole time, um, she's she's feigning all of this. Uh, not speaking the truth. He said, "Oh, would you have me knock the head of you with the butt of a broom?" Uh, and he twists around on her with a sharp cry of horror. Don't strike me. I killed my poor father. Tuesday was a week for doing the like of that. Uh, so he's prompted in all sincerity to claim to have killed his father uh because of her comments she's feigning rage he's actually offended um but in his actual offense he lies but here's the question did he actually lie um or did he think that he killed his father so do you think that like the whole interpretation of the play sort of hinges on this in sort of a i I don't think it makes substantial difference oh, really? one way or the other. Um, so why do you bring I, it I up? Really, because it's it's a, it's a surface question. It's a it's a reading group question. Okay, sure. Um, I almost, <laughs> I mean, 
because the way you were framing it maybe just puts me in mind of this but it almost feels like a is hamlet mad or is he actually is he just feigning madness kind of question right it, it's it's one of those i think that you know in in the end um it doesn't matter for me whether hamlet is mad or not sure um, the the especially in acts four and five the results become the same and you exactly. could say a similar thing about this. It would probably yep. inform how you played Christie if you were looking at it from an that's, acting perspective. That's it. That's it's it's an actor's question. It's not a yeah. an interpretation question. Sure. Um, one of those things that matters to the character, not to the audience. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I think you're right because, like, did did you ask the full question or, or am I like? Yeah, that's it. Yep. Okay. Because um, I think you're right in, in that the real point is the relationship between Christy and Peggy. Um, yep. And I, I, especially interpretation wise, and maybe even thematically, it almost doesn't matter what Christy believes. It matters what Peggy mm-hmm. believes and it matters what she yes. believes he believes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that is what it boils down to. Um, and I could, when, when I, played it and i don't want it to make about make it about me sure because i only played this the portions of it um it included this set of lines um sure. but i played it sincerely that um no well no uh okay sincerely uh, sincerely can mean a, n- a number of different things sure. i played it that he did not think that he killed his father and he was lying through his teeth oh okay um from from the get go, not having read the play, sure. um, that was like the summary of the play that I got from the director. That um, you know he didn't, but he tells everybody that he did. Sure. Um, so um, I played it as a, as a liar. Sure. I think <laughs> um, that would be. But a... I, I I would be interested to go back and and play it the opposite. It would yeah. It's it's one of those wonderful things about plays specifically is that like especially like from an acting perspective like mm-hmm. a well-written play often you can play you know one way and then play its opposite and both yes. ways are potentially valid and potentially work it just depends mm-hmm. like what you know what the production is going for what you think is an actor i think the plain reading of the text and this is just a Mm -hmm. hunch or a suspicion Mm -hmm. i couldn't necessarily back up off the top of my head i think the plain reading is that christy thinks he killed his da like i think that christy absolutely believes that um his father's dead i don't think he would have especially just like from my reading of his character i don't think he would have run off and, and gone on the road the way that he does sure if he hadn't absolutely believed either his his father was dead or possibly that like uh he had done some other irreparable crime like wounded him to the point of death Mm -hmm. um i i agree with you and that was something that was interesting to me reading it because you know in my initial understanding of it he was a liar yeah Um, yeah, yeah. and so reading it this way i i was um struck with the 
very clear possibility that you know he really thought he killed his dad sure uh to play devil's advocate he could possibly have thought well i'll run away because my dad's gonna come after me if i don't escape um sure because i've hit him now um so there there's that aspect of it and that's the way that you could play it in, in sure. those terms but the just the the way he comes across here and reacting in all this sincerity with this this offense um and the, the horror that's put in the stage directions here yeah um, yeah it's interesting to see that in both ways in in the first you know he killed his dad and so he's in a bit of shock at this point uh right. after killing his father that you know i i killed my father and i i could i could do the same thing i could wind up doing the same thing which relates to what we talked about in the Aran islands that you know the the reason the law wouldn't condemn a man who committed murder is because his own conscience and soul is oppressing him so much and so he's right. he's affected by this horror on the opposite side um he's he's traveled all this way uh from having killed his father and is seeking or from having uh, wounded his father and is trying to escape him and so there's a similar shock that's going to be there but it's more of a cultural shock rather than a mortal shock. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, which, which I think winds up making essentially the same point for seeing both of these. Uh, it, it, that's, that's brought up in the Aran islands here that, you know, it's absurd to uh, um, condemn a man the same way in the city as in these islands or in this case, County Mayo. Right. Um, but uh it it's just an intri intriguing um thought experiment i guess to think yeah. both lines here absolutely um dovetailing with that actually uh is going to be yeah. one of my favorite like passages in the play or or you could, i mean you could work it as a scene there aren't really delineated scenes yeah. um but it's like right in the middle of act 2 uh, page 94 um, and it's this one like if I were to do this as a directing scene I would just pull this passage out and it's just <laughs> Piggy and Christy um, and it's like them negotiating over their relationship and it's again there's a lot going on where it's like uh, one of them seems like they have the power but really it's the other one who does yes. um, which is great playwriting absolutely I just say absolutely meticulous wonderful fantastic playwright. yeah and you know there are a lot of cliches about like oh s stormy irish women or, you know um oh yeah but like those cliches point to a, a truth that like in irish literature and even in the like legends and the the folk tales and so forth like women in irish literature and irish tradition like mm -hmm. have a very strong place um that's that's something that that i think you you put you got the right word on it it's a strength yeah that's, that's put there yeah um, um <laughs> which which is, which is interesting when you talk about that that incendiary line at yes. the end with footnote 50 you know it's it's the 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 woman of ireland whether that uh is um specific a, a possessive or genitive uh or an opposite <laughs> appositional genitive oh my gosh um, i'm so <laughs> mad at you <laughs> that's uh yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely but uh um uh, anyway so 
again, page 94. Um, they both... It's a, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on. And again, as I say every episode probably about something, I could do a whole hour on this passage. Um, oh, yeah. And so... Uh, this is after Christie has been like Pagan sort of planted her flag on Christie, and then all the like, uh, I'm gonna make a, a very I'm almost 32 generational reference, but like <laughs> the Rachels of this town like descended on Christie, and of course, like being a young man who's suddenly like the thing in the town, like he's flirting with all of them, and of course, Pagan gets gets very offended by this um <laughs> and uh, and i apologize to any of our listeners whose names are rachel my uh wife is named karen so i understand by proxy anyway <laughs> some of some of that anyway um now that i've offended most of our listeners uh uh <laughs> most of them <laughs> <laughs> yes most of our listeners are english Named Rachel or are Irish literature scholars. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, Pagan says, Pagan accuses Christy of being a coaxing fellow. Christy says coaxing, and Pagan says, basically, would you have me think you've never talked with girls? Like, the way you've talked, like, you know how to flirt, basically, is her yeah. mm-hmm. accusation. And she says, it's only letting on you are to be lonesome the way you get around me now. Basically, like, you're pretending to be lonesome, so I'll have sympathy for you. Um, mm-hmm. And Christy has this heartbreaking line. I wish to God I was letting on, but I was lonesome all times. And born lonesome, I'm thinking, as the moon of dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the stage direction is going to door. So this is his parting line. Mm-hmm. Except Pagan calls him back. By saying, well, it's a story I'm not understanding at all. Why, you'd be worse than another, Christy Mahone. Because this is their negotiation of, what are they engaged? Are they dating? I think there's mm-hmm. only engaged in this, like, cultural context. But, you know. Yeah. Um, and you, a fine lad with a great savagery to destroy your da. Now, here's <laughs> where uh, accusations of Ori- Orientalism or, or like, fetishization of, like peasant cultures to me could be problematized and it might be a both and thing where it's still going on but um this to me reads as pagan almost saying that someone who is willing to stand up for themselves in the face of an oppressor and someone who's willing to kill for the greater principles or the greater things that that sort of embody their uh will upon the world to get slightly Nietzschean. <laughs> so that person is who she wants to marry. She wants to marry the person who will fight even at the mm. risk of hanging or death um, over someone like Sean who will just submit to every authority in sight embodied in the Catholic Church. Yes. Um, and then Christy again has like one of to me the most just incredible lines in the play and it is him like doing you know <laughs> potentially richard the third wooing lady anne in in this beautiful <laughs> poetry that conceals the fact that he's a murderer but christie says it's little i'm understanding myself saving only that my heart's scalded this day 
and I going off stretching out the earth between us, the way I'll not be waking near you another dawn of the year till the two of us do arise to hope or judgment with the saints of God. And now I'd best be going with my waddle in my hand, for hanging is a poor thing, and as little welcome only is left to me in this house today. Now there's like a bunch of things going on here. Obviously the surface level one is him saying like, sort of doubling down on like, you've rejected me, I like, this is utmost existential despair i'm gonna go Mm -hmm. which is of course like a ploy it's the you know when you break up with your girlfriend but you don't want to break up with her but you're like you don't like me anyway but that's like a test to like see if she'll say the right thing we've all done that um yeah absolutely every single one of us (laughs) um and i actually don't mean to be sexist about this like you know boys do it girls do it everyone it, it's mm-hmm. it's a human nature thing much more than a, a particular sex or gender thing um i still tell my wife every day you know why don't you just divorce me yeah and i'm sure she takes you very seriously <laughs> and doesn't roll her eyes and not say anything at all um so that's all that's all definitely going on like there's there's a little bit of like the teenage pity party you know <laughs> thing going on here um but the line that breaks my heart here is I'll not be waking near you another dawn of the year till the two of us do arise to hope or judgment with the saints of God. Uh, it's such a good line and it's so evocative of like what is actually very much happening beneath the surface here. Um which has to do with authority, which has to do with the church, which has yeah. to do with Ireland being a province occupied by a hostile power mm-hmm. that is perfectly willing to go so far as to committing genocide. Um, mm-hmm. We're 20 years before the Black and Tans and their policy of taking all of the men in Irish villages, lining them up, and shooting every 10th man if this area was seen as rebelling against the English crown. Like, mm-hmm. this is very real here. Um, and so to evoke, or invoke, I guess either one, um, Judgment Day, and the idea mm-hmm. of judgment on any of, like, multiple levels from my father to the government and the potential that I'm going to get hanged to the Catholic church or just transcending that potentially even depending on how you interpret things, theological motivations to like God to God, literally raising your body and judging you for potentially having killed your father. Uh It's just like, it's all of that is in here. And, um, it's like wrapped up in pegging as, the symbol of potentially the redemption from all of that. And that doesn't mean, yeah. and Pagans made it very clear that that doesn't necessarily mean not facing the consequences of any of those things. Oh yeah. Um, But it's wrapped up in her as, as representative or symbolic of that, which again, I feel, and I didn't mean, I didn't mean to go here, but it, as I'm saying it, I'm thinking of it supports that thesis that pegging is 
perhaps meant as a symbol of a much more robust and a much different but still powerful and still uh, valued version of either Irish womanhood or indeed Ireland as a nation represented by a woman. Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, I-, I-, I don't think that's a, a stretch at all. She, I'm, uh, to put it back into the, the religious terms, I mean, she mocks Sean for his fear of the Catholic Church. Yeah. Um, and that's, that, that's something that, that comes out with her relationship with Christy, too, um, that, you know, she's, she's willing to understand that, you know, there's consequences for what he's done. But yeah, he also can be a man about it, you know, right. <laughs> to put it that way, which which leads me to a, an, another question that is not the question that i'm gonna ask sure um i'm good at those does pegeen let me let me phrase this the right way sure does she value christy in part and here are the options after in part because of his murder of his father or because of the effect of his murder of his father on him on him yes okay so like that 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 aspect you know thinking of the Aran islands once again that a man is not punished for murder because his own soul is affecting him that that idea so is that her attitude that his own soul is affecting him and that's why she values him in part or is it because he murdered his father and stood up and fought against the oppressor that she values him in part. Um, I think that's... I don't want to boil it all down to one option here, sure. but is is which one of those is the reason she values Christy? I think that is an extremely valid question. And I think it's another one of those that's different if you're acting it versus if you're mm. reading it on sort of a literary level as we are. Um, because I think you could act it either way or both mm-hmm. or none, and all three of those options could produce valid performances. Um, yes. My suspicion, sort of with my training as a you know reader of literature specifically, is that... I mean, my suspicion is that it's the effect that... Um, Christie is appealing again you have like a surface level and a depth level the surface level is (laughs) no different from the reason that uh the hot girl in any american show about high school values (laughs) the like bad boy biker man who comes in and like is dangerous and -hmm. she values him over like the conformist nerd and i'm speaking Mm -hmm. in obviously very broad generalizations even about a very broad category of entertainment um (laughs) it's the idea that like the person who's a from outside of the context you've always known and are bored by and b who is a tough guy like that's inherently more appealing than the person you've grown up with who is somewhat timid um yes But then I think the question becomes, and I think this is like an open question 
especially based on what Singh has said about his own work, which is like why I sometimes don't like reading authors' own opinions about their work. Um, because sometimes it narrows down like the available interpretations or it has a tendency to do that. I think that if I were to interpret uh, Pegan as a holistic character, I would think she lives in a culture that has been affected by 800 years of oppression, 800 years of occupation. And mm-hmm. uh, um, Christy seems to her and is valuable to her in so much as he is someone who has stood up to those authority mm-hmm. figures. Um, and again, I don't know how much of this is like, if we could have a seance and summon the spirit of, of <laughs> Jam Singh, he would be like, yeah. what are you talking about? I, I don't know how much of it is like that versus like stuff that's in there that he just didn't explicate for one reason or another versus stuff that might be in there, but it's subconscious on his part. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to any of those questions, but um, I think that in so much as sometimes writers write a deeper meaning to a character than they intend, um, or sometimes like intend a deeper meaning than they will tell you about. I think that's like the depth level interpretation of uh, Pagan's motivations and and why she yeah. does and says what she does and says. Yeah, I, and you've you've summarized pretty well. I think what what I understand is just she's a complex character. Oh my um, gosh! Like. Uh... again as far as plays written in 1907 i know like ibsen supposedly did some good feminist plots or whatever but like i would (laughs) definitely like introduce peg and mike as one of the most like especially for plays written by a man in 1907 one of the (laughs) most complex and interesting and like valued and valid female characters written Mm -hmm. since Shakespeare made Juliet one of the most brilliant characters ever put Mm -hmm. on stage. I I, I just, I I value your statement in part just for the fact that someone could now quote you as saying Ibsen, ellipsis, or whatever. I want. I do. I to be fair, I haven't read Ibsen since I was like sixteen, and I think he went okay. a little bit over my head at that point. But I'm still sure. willing to stand by that ellipsis. <laughs> Good. Um, uh, I I want to jump to the end of the play, the, the the part of the play that doesn't matter because it didn't get a chance to be performed apart from the riot. Well, the uh, first time. Before, I think it has been it, performed since, to be fair. Yes, yes. You, you didn't let me finish. Sorry. Within Singh's lifetime. Okay, sorry, um, yes. So you, you mentioned Judgment Day earlier, and there on page 121, the last page of the play, Christie mentions Judgment Day again. He says, 10,000 blessings upon all that's here, for you've turned me a likely gaffer in the end of it all, in the end of all, the way I'll go romancing through a romping lifetime from this hour to the dawning of the Judgment Day, which has to harken back to his earlier statements there. Yes, um, absolutely. And he, he exits. That's, that's his, his closing line. Yeah, yeah, that's how he ends. He mentions Judgment Day there. Then Michael, Piggins' uh, father, says, By the will of God, we'll have peace now for our drinks. 
will you draw the Porter Pagin? Which, okay, it comes back down. The beginning of the play was this uh, peasant drama, right? And it's it's all peaceful, and there's a whole lot of inaction that's highlighted at the beginning of the play. Uh, and all the people are people of inaction. Um, just uh, flipping back to page 71, Pagin is yes. mocking Sean and says, well, you're a daring fellow, and she's completely <laughs> sarcastic in that. Right. Because he's inactive. He is the opposite of Christie. And then Sean says here on page 121, uh, he goes up to Pegin and he says, it's a miracle Father Riley can wed us in the end of all, and we'll have none to trouble us when his vicious bite is healed. So she, he's still looking to marry uh, Pegin here. And then she hit hitting him a box on the ear. So she hits him, uh, which is, I think, just an absolute perfect reversal of what you had at the beginning. Because it takes everything that's not out in the open and just, there it is. Yeah. Christy has, has, has unstoppered all of it and she's got to hit Sean. She's just got to box him in the ear. And he's and shown says, Quit her, my sight. in a sense, he's shown yeah. her a context in which she can hit Sean, which yes. potentially she didn't have at the beginning of the play. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which, uh, of course, it doesn't mean that she's not going to marry him. <laughs> that's, that's left open here. Sure. Uh, but she's, she says, quit my sight. So at this moment, she just doesn't want to see him because uh, she's, yeah, as she's going to say here, she's lost Christy, uh, the opposite of Sean. And yeah. so she puts her shawl over her head, breaks out into wild lamentations, uh, which is, is kind of, again, uh, an, a picture of the Irish woman here. Um, yeah, with a shawl over the head and just lamenting. Those and, uh, are that, that mournful cry of 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 the Irish woman is is kind of iconic at this time. Yes, that's all you I know? was going to say. Actually, like okay, yeah, go on. Okay, um, then she says, "Oh my grief, I've lost him. Surely I've lost the only playboy of the Western world." So it's this this uh, quintessential grief. Yeah, here at the and end of the play, almost makes uh, Pagan the main character. Like mm-hmm. the whole arc is about her. It opens and closes on her. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I was gonna—I uh, forgot what I was. Gonna which, say. if she's Ireland, yeah. <laughs> um, which again, like, and, and I know you—you you, you said this, and I and I talked over you, but like the if—if uh, if they'd only stuck around, I don't know how long. Yes. Four four pages of this this uh book if it's if it's, if it's approximately one minute per page it's like four or five minutes i doubt it is because it's not in proper screenplay format but still 10 yeah. minutes at the most probably yeah at the most 10 minutes yeah if they just stick around 10 more minutes it's sort of like um where a uh, clockwork orange was published without the last chapter in america and became mm. a completely different book for a while before the like unstupidly edited version was published um and kubrick based his film on the edited version and you know it it became a whole thing without the and the last chapter of clockwork orange is not very many pages it's like five pages i want to say um Mm. it's a similar it almost feels like a similar phenomenon uh just to bring back the theme of bad analogies uh for this series (laughs) um yes but yeah, it's it's a uh, again, Christy doesn't have probably a character arc in this play in so much as he has a yeah. a flat line that he reacts to based on whether he killed his father or not, but it's uh-huh. characterized as a flat line. Pagan is the one who goes from 
one status quo to a very different status quo, willing to box Sean on the ear, which I have to assume mm-hmm. was like an action intentionally meant to reflect, you know, hitting your father in the head with a loy. Um, oh, yeah. And so, like, that's very interesting. It it put paints her, like, again, as the main character of this play, which is like, and again, Ibsen, the dollhouse, whatever. Um, <laughs> you don't even have again. to put ellipses in that one. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, fairly rare for this period to make a female character, especially as a male author, to make a female character that central of a of a character especially thematically um yeah so yeah um and you quoted his his exit line just a few lines before but um about a page before that towards the bottom of 120 christy says again referencing judgment i'm thinking satan hasn't many have killed their dot in carrie and in mayo too yeah. Um so, you know, that's that's a a whole thing and then um again, it's this like it's the it's to an existentialist point that this idea of judgment comes. It's not just yeah. I killed my da, it's not just the law will have me for I killed my da. It's not just the church will sanction me. It's this has ramifications to eternity. Yes. Um, which is just very interesting. Which is exactly that, that weight on the soul that, yeah. uh, you know, those in the Aran Islands valued. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And again, it's like, it's maybe almost in, in a similar way to like Pagan being almost more of a feminist character than like a, a pure virginal, you know, Vic- Victorian style woman. Uh, mm-hmm. It's almost more of a taking seriously of a faith to say that, like, God's judgment isn't our business. All we have to do mm-hmm. is judge, you know, earthly things. So we're not going to kill him. Like he'll he'll get his judgment, you know, yeah. in eternity. That's like more of a taking seriously of of a faith than, uh, you know, to say like, oh, we have to we have to execute this very specific judgment right now. Um, sure, sure. Not to yeah. start theological controversies and riots of my own. <laughs> uh, questionably too late. I, don't know. <laughs> um, I want to say one last thing about yes, all of this. closing argument. Um, and uh, uh, if you want, if you have anything left, I'll, I'll uh, as the guest, I'll graciously allow you to <laughs> to do so. Um, but again, one of us has the power, and the other doesn't. Which one is it? But know. which one is which violates yeah. social norms. Um, <laughs> so again, this is uh, this play is it premieres in 1907. Yes, presumably, I think. Even some of the scholarship in this book says written 1906, 1907 in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that is nine years before a an event that's called the Easter Rising in Ireland. Um, mm. 
and this is like if you go especially to dublin but it it you know is in galway on the opposite sort of the dublin's on the east galway's on the west like it was also in galway i have to assume permeates throughout various uh um, museums and things in ireland they talk about the the easter rising the 1916 rising in um a similar manner to which they talk about uh, in america they would talk about 1776 or 1789 or some of these very historically uh potent dates right so um what happened in Easter of 1916, and I'm going to again, yet again, summarize like uh, probably offensively shortly uh, bits of Irish history. Um, You're going to turn a textbook into a footnote. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> there was a rebellion where a group of Irish people took over, um, mostly in Dublin, took over key sites, and for about a week, held them against they declared the irish republic they held these sites against the british um they were overwhelmed because they were a force of hundreds basically against a force of tens if not hundreds of thousands um mm. but the the um british the, the person in the british military in charge of quelling the rebellion um, was the sort of leader who said, who thought that to quell a rebellion, you had to use the most utmost brutality and the utmost force. And mm -hmm. so they took all of the leaders of the rebellion and lined them up and shot them dead. Um, and this included civilians. This included one leader who had been married while in prison um this also included one leader who had been wounded so badly in the fighting that he was going to die probably within a week and the british I, that's sounds like a good way to calm everybody down yeah right um <laughs> the british reaction was to force him to stand up he was not like physically able to stand so they jury rigged a situation in which he could stand so that they could shoot him in front of a fire in as a in a firing squad uh, in, in a firing squad. yes yep. um which i did get to like uh be in what they call the stonebreakers yard in reading jail in dublin where this happened when i when i went to ireland and it was like the only time in my life that i've been in like a bitter biting wind and kept my hat off of my head on purpose um while the tour guide like told the story uh and <laughs> this like the it was literally a martyrdom on a on a nationalistic you know sure you could separate it from a religious level though you sort of can't it was a martyrdom <laughs> Um, yeah. And it literally created the Irish nation as we know it today, as it exists sure. as an independent nation. And of course, there's everything about the, you know, Northern Ireland and the Troubles and like, you know, there's all of that that I won't go into. But what I'm saying is, um, for better or worse, and however directly or indirectly, um, John Millington sings 
play, the playboy of the Western world, contributed directly to all of this. Sure. Um, and that's, again, like we mentioned, you know, you're in my awe of literature that can sort of directly create riots. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, this is literature that can directly affect the destinies of nations and empires. And mm-hmm. as much as it is a dark comedy and a satire, and there's like some things that could be labeled silly. Um, oh, sure. In this play, like at the same time, again, for better or worse, and, and however much, you know, I'm sure that's that's still debated by academics and others to this day this play created a modern nation state that still (laughs) has roots thousands of years in the past and that still exists and has Mm -hmm. a admired and relevant place in the world to this day absolutely um and of course you know i i don't want to say like this play alone did it but like oh no this is there are qualifiers of... certainly but it it's contributing yeah this is it. part of that in a in a big way yeah yeah so that's that probably 27 minute monologue is all i wanted to say at, at the end here. <laughs> that's that is just fine um i want to point out just at the end here that um you know if you look at the the character list the person's in the play on page 68 we've talked about christy we've talked a bit about his father uh we've talked a bit about michael we've talked about peggy uh just we've mentioned the widow quinn in like one instance but then the rest of these characters they're they're smaller characters but i think they have more that we could discuss that we're we're not gonna um <laughs> um but I, I i mean all the characters have a purpose here and it would be interesting to look at all of them uh in on their own but i i, I do want to fulfill the promise to complain about a footnote oh yes sorry i meant at to end. at some point ask you if we had done that i i, I mean now that we've we've essentially i, I don't want to say exhausted uh, because there's always more to say about everything that we talk about on this podcast. But uh, the footnote I want to complain about is on page 82. It's footnote number 20. Um, and... <laughs> Sorry, I got there ahead of you. But go on, please. Um, it, it's it's a simply explanatory footnote plain as could be you know something that maybe the average reader doesn't understand so here's something to explain give you the background of it whatever sure great i love i love when those footnotes are available because it's it's helpful to to readers who who don't know all of these these ancillary things you know some of the irish history or or uh the celtic words in here get explained in similar ways that you know i wouldn't know and so that's helpful to me to have that there this one is misleading um so it explains saint martin's day footnote number 20 11 november so far so good saint martin's day is the 11th of november as any good lutheran historian would know because it was the day martin luther was baptized and therefore he was named martin um man i didn't remember (laughs) that so i'm a bad lutheran but go on (laughs) i to be fair i said lutheran historian (laughs) um (laughs) 
Um, then it goes on and says, marking the beginning of Lent. No, 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 no. Lent is not in November. Lent, no, wrong, absolutely wrong. And the period of penitence before Christmas. No, <laughs> none of that is true. Okay. Absolutely none of that is true. Okay, so Lent is not before Christmas. It's before Easter. It's in the spring. Uh, oh, wait. What oh, my gosh. Lent means Lent is the from the Latin word lentes, meaning spring. So it's in the spring uh, and leads up to Easter. It's the penitential season. They got that right. But before Easter, not Christmas. Right. Um, it also doesn't mark the beginning of anything. Okay. Um, let alone Advent. Advent is marked by the... Be- Advent's beginning, which is what they're getting at here, yeah. which is the penitential season before Christmas. Advent, that's marked... That's beginning is marked by St. Andrew's Day, which is November 30th. So, okay. no, they're wrong. <laughs> um, so, I do have to confess a deep wrong I have done to my own uh, faith and faith tradition, which is that I just read Advent when they wrote Lent. <laughs> so, I assume it was some sort of extended, like, Advent fest. Fast, rather. Sure. Um. So yeah, that's that's just like un- inexcusable for it, it is it is inexcusable. Um, I do have to quote the Wikipedia article about Saint Martin's Day. Oh, please do. Um, please do. Which it's Wikipedia, so so like. Oh sure. Always go double check me and follow your sources. Though this bit that I'm about to quote, like. Cites Encyclopedia Britannica and a a book from Oxford University Press called Journey into the Heart of God, which, like, who knows what that is. Um, I'm sure Oxford University Press does. Uh, That could mean anything. uh, A bit of this article says, In the 6th century, church councils began requiring fasting on all days except Saturdays and Sundays from St. Martin's Day to Epiphany. Oh. Okay. Okay. Um, which of course, so it is... could it could mark that season of penitence then. Yeah, it's it's January sixth. Um, obviously, yep. for our uh, uh, some of our listeners. Um, yes. So okay, so so oh, maybe okay. they're so not then... as far off. Maybe the <laughs> the mistake is is just in uh, saying Lent instead of Advent. Okay, so um, but even still, it's, um, uh, the additional that. sorry, the additional information about yeah. this, uh, in addition to and an equivalent to the forty days of fasting of Lent, given its weekend breaks, this was called Quadragesima Sancti Martini, Saint Martin's hmm. Lent, or literally the fortieth of, which I feel like is probably a bad Latin translation. Um, uh... The next. Whole sentence is, this is rarely observed. Shortening, possibly resuming to begin on the Sunday before December, this became Advent within a few centuries. So, so by this time, so possibly some editor read that Wikipedia article. <laughs> and, I was almost um... <laughs> wondering if the Wikipedia article had somehow cited this book, or at least started yeah. to cite this book. Um, um, yeah, I, you're right. I... I, I, I I would the the way church seasons are. I would believe that that some of that is true from the sixth century. That yeah. um, you know, 
that there was that extended fasting period uh, through until Epiphany, which is um, which has historically been in parts of the world Christmas itself. Right. Or you could um, envision and still is in parts of the world. You could um, almost envision like you start on St. Martin's Day, you fast through Christmas. Yeah. Twelve days of Christmas are like a feasting day that like contrasts the fast day. You resume right. at least intermittent fasting through to Easter or something like that. Again, Some, yeah. obviously speculation. Um right. to support what you just said, uh either this is a wildly outdated footnote, which is you were starting to say <laughs> a minute ago, I think. Yeah. Um that like some are, some editor read either this Wikipedia article or, you know, some other reference source that gave a general definition of St. Martin's Day. Or my the other thought I had is, like, if this is a possibility in the west of Ireland that remained very Catholic and maybe kept over some much older Catholic traditions of some sort. Possible. It's possible, but if that's the case, this footnoter should have delineated that specifically to say like sure the a lot of the uh, the rest of the church didn't celebrate this but this would still have been relevant in ireland or in the west of ireland they don't do that so they do open themselves up directly to your uh complaint criticism yes yeah uh what what i will say about this in the context here it, it it all comes in in the uh the themes of of light uh and darkness sure and um so saint martin's day which which you could uh, apply in religious terms as being very close before the season of advent which is um observing that that growing darkness until christmas um but it also uh is just seasonally appropriate that the light of saint martin's day is is the longer uh, phrase here that the, or the sunshine of, of saint martin's day so okay yeah here we've got more sunshine on saint martin's day and the days are getting shorter <laughs> um so even just naturalistically it applies there you don't need yeah. this idea of almost being part of it i almost feel like there's like some context here that we're completely missing that maybe has to do with the church year combined with Irish culture of the time or something like like harvest season yeah or something all that that's yeah. like missed by both us and the footnoter yeah or possibly I, 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 that's that's more or less my my impression here is that there's something that I'm missing and whoever wrote that footnote is missing yeah and um I don't know if Wordsworth poetry library or wordsworth editions is a okay it's registered in hertfordshire okay so this is a british publisher and it almost makes me wonder if there's some british and or irish context that like the footnoter was assuming their audience would get that we as americans don't could be which is yet again wild speculation because this is the wild speculation podcast but absolutely we we always we always uh uh err on that side of things yeah but um but yeah i well that's i didn't want to invalidate your complaint but it is honestly for a very like 
almost banal sounding footnote very interesting complaint yeah and like i i I don't think it's as as simplistic as just they're wrong (laughs) yeah there's more to it um yeah but I think that's gonna that's gonna do it for our discussion yeah. of uh, the Playboy of the Western World. We end on this uh, confusing complaint, <laughs> confusing, um, pretty pedantic complaint. So, like our brand seems appropriate. Podcast, really. Seems appropriate. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay, Ethan. So far, so good. Uh, nobody has broken any rules, at least that I've tracked. That is correct. Um, so that's uh, that's good. Question mark. It's good um, for some of us some of the time. Some of the, there you go. Uh we will wait uh to to rate the scotch until after our next two episodes, um, uh, which we'll be discussing uh Ball Lightning by Tsishin Liu. I gotta make sure I pronounce that right. Yeah, because uh, I will never, so one of us has to do it. Tsishin Liu. Anyway. Yeah, so that's that's what we're discussing next time. And and uh we'll we'll mention that. Um so we'll wait to rate the scotch until then, but we will rate the book now. We are specifically talking about the Playboy of the Western World by J.M. Singh, uh, even though we both have the complete works of J.M. Singh. Uh so Ethan, would you rate the book buy, borrow, or forget about it? I would rate Playboy buy. Mm-hmm. I would also read the complete works of J.M. Singh by. Now, this is like absolutely me uh, exercising my privilege as a host of this podcast who gets to say whatever he wants. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. To like, I can't justify that recommendation, but I'm going to recommend it anyway. I can justify uh, rating Playboy itself as by just because. If you're the sort of person who is interested in the things we talk about on this podcast, it's like, it's just so good. It's such a good play. It's just like something that is worth reading if you're interested in literature at all. Um, The complete works would be more like if you're interested in Irish literature, so it's a little more nuanced. But yeah, I'm going to say bye on sort of every level here. Nice. Uh, I, I'm I'm waffling around here a little bit. Sure. In in an interesting way. Um, specifically, I'm waffling on Playboy between buy and borrow, uh, and on the complete works. Also, kind of buy and borrow, but leaning towards buy. Uh, so here's what interesting. I mean. Interesting. If if you're gonna buy Playboy, you should buy the complete works. Okay. That's that's my point. Or if you don't buy the complete boy, complete works, you buy Playboy and borrow the complete works so that you get the, all the context. Because here's what I'm thinking. Playboy is super interesting, even on its own, apart from the complete works of Sing, and it is significant and uh, moving and marvelous, and you should absolutely read it. Do I think you need to have it in your library? That's a good question. And that's why I'm waffling towards borrow, because if you're not interested in the complete works, just borrow it, um, read it and, sure. you know, maybe get some of that context from various other places. And, and you're you're OK on that front. Uh, but if you are a little more interested in it and want to go deeper buy the complete works, get everything. 
um, get it all in, involved in there. So sure. my rating is really confused <laughs> right now. Uh, it's it's somewhere in the realm of buy and borrow, leaning towards buy on all fronts. That so. honestly feels very fair. And like the only confusing thing would be if we ever listed these like ratings encyclopedia <laughs> style where you just had a list of books and a list of ratings. Um, if we did that, it would be uh, um, maybe borrow 0. 0.75. <laughs> I don't know. But what I'm saying is we don't do that. We probably we never will do that. Um, maybe grad students in the future will do that. I don't know. But if sure. they do, I'm when sorry. When they study our podcast, yeah. <laughs> if they do that, I'm very sorry to them. Um, oh. But... Just think of the fodder for for doctoral theses we're providing here. <laughs> um, anyway, yes. Uh, no, it, being that this is a, a recommendation that people listen to contextually, I think it makes perfect sense. And if anyone disagrees with me, they are wrong unless they are a financial supporter of this podcast. Um, <laughs> Great. Yeah, so that's what I've got about that. Fantastic. Uh, Ethan, would you uh, rate the pairing of uh, Playboy of the Western World to Talisker Storm? Um, I don't want to, as we talked about last time, I don't want to, like, trivialize anything. Uh, And that includes the Scotch and Book pairing. Um, It feels, I would say, perfect match. I would say... Specifically because this is a a story that takes place at the edge of the sea, and Talisker Storm is one of the scotches that's, like, the most uh, 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 ocean-y, sea-ish, to use some technical Mm -hmm. terms. Um, Like, as I'm looking at the box of it right now, it literally says (laughs) Made by the Sea on it. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. That feels very appropriate. So because of that, I'm going to rate it perfect match. Awesome. Uh, I'm also going to say perfect match, and I was hoping it would be. The taste matches up uh, to what I was hoping for. <laughs> and and that is, you know, um, if you hadn't given us an Irish whiskey in our last set of episodes, I would have bought uh, an Irish single malt called Conmara. Oh, my um, gosh. Which is actually... <laughs> A whiskey I've been wanting to try for years and never have. Uh, not that I'm regretting the green spot at all. Yes. But I, I couldn't do another English, uh, English, Irish. I couldn't do another Irish whiskey. After you couldn't be a freaking copycat. Whiskey. I understand. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't be a copycat. <laughs> so this was, in my mind, the perfect scotch to fit this Irish yes. play. And it lived up to my expectations so perfect match is what i'll say excellent great all right so we agree take that um <laughs> next time as i mentioned we will be reading ball lightning by Tsishin liu yes uh and uh so read along with that give us your feedback uh let us know what you think of any books in our our series our here uh, any thoughts you've got that's how you pronounce that? that our oeuvre or oeuvre, yes. Which is how you pronounce um, that, definitely, for sure. Perfect, yes. 
um, and give us uh, give us your thoughts on the themes or characters or whatever. Go to the tapestryradio.org website. Go to the contact section. Put Scotch Talk in the subject line. That'll help us find what you're talking about. Um, or on Twitter, find us at Room with Scotch. Uh, or on Facebook, join our closed group, the Tapestry Radio Tap House. If you request to join, uh, we will let you in. Uh, unless you are a black uh, and tan, last time? or what? Or a black and tan, or a black and tan. There you go. Love it. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Um, and there you can get in touch with us as well. Uh, and also on our website, you can find the homework submission form for us to do your homework. Uh, we aren't ever promising to do a good job on your homework, but we are promising to do it in such a way that you could plagiarize us and we will laugh at you when you get hauled off, hauled off to plagiarism jail. Excellent. Uh, so yes, go to the website, tapestryradio.org slash scotchcast and fill out the form close to the top of the page and we will do that homework that you submit. Um, if you like this podcast, check out the other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network like Intermission, the Backstage Drama Podcast, Us Play Fiasco, The Real Play uh, fiasco improv podcast uh, Freddy goes to a podcast where we discuss uh, the books of the Freddy P- the pig series and Pokemon rollout the Pokemon tabletop united RPG actual play podcast uh, rate and view us and all the podcasts that you like on Apple podcasts or Google podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts uh, since we don't pay to advertise that helps others learn about us and uh, enjoy the podcast uh, Ethan where can they find you I am at Bjartlett on Twitter. That's B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. Uh, also, I have a webcomic, Pinporter Girl Detective, which is pinporterdetective.com. Um, it's a fairy tale film, film noir mashup detective comic starring a 12-year-old girl detective who is definitely smarter than I am. Um <laughs> it's we're at page 180 which like even though we haven't updated it in a while we have plans to but yeah you know it's a backlog to get through if you haven't uh haven't started at all so uh feels worth doing to me yeah i can i can attest that it's worth it thank you um absolutely uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. You can find me there. Uh, and with that, until next time, just remember, it's our party, and we'll cry if the English make us. <laughs> or maybe we won't. Depends if we're yeah. pagan or not. It's true. true. Bye! Bye! Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.